Well, again, good evening. If you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And happy you're able to join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. And uh, if you joined us here in person or, or online, we again welcome you uh, to be able to join. Because tonight uh, we're going to start a new book. We're continuing on. Finished Deuteronomy. We continue on here in the book of Joshua. And, uh, and I, I agree with my brother John. This is his favorite book. It's my favorite book. So it's good to know that someone else has his favorite book here is Joshua. So I hopefully you find it your favorite book on Wednesday nights as well. So, Father, we thank you. And as we open up your word here in the book of Joshua... May it just, just open up well here, Lord, as we set our minds now, as we move from Deuteronomy into Joshua, that we will continue here uh, in your word. But we start the historical books, Lord, and may it just be uh, nourishment to our souls to help us to grow in our knowledge, understanding of who you are and our love for you. Go before us as your Holy Spirit ministers to us through your word, by your word, in our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua, the historical books that we will see in days, if not probably years to come, as we get through Joshua and Judges, and Ruth and 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Just a few books to get through. Just the historical books that we see in the Old Testament. Now, in the book of Joshua, it's pretty clear and quick. Probably you will draw the conclusion, if you have not read the book of Joshua, that you believe it's the author is Joshua, and you would be correct. After the death of Moses, his leader, his, pro, you know, his protege, he's someone who's learned from the death of the leader, the lawgiver, Moses himself, God chose, and the key word, God chose, Moses did not choose who his successor would be. God chooses who will lead God's people. And God chose Joshua, not the people, not the current leader, but God himself as the new leader for the nation of Israel. And he also became Israel's general, the commander-in-chief, leading the new nation of tribes as they conquered the land and parcel out the land that God is giving them called the promised land. Now Joshua, if you know and remember in the study here, Joshua has been with Moses from the beginning and he was the eyewitness who we will see in the first 23 chapters. It's Joshua whose eyewitness accounts and writing it down, but it's the priest Eliezer or his son uh, Phineas in Joshua 24, 33, who would have written down chapter 24 as it records Joshua's final speech. And death. Now, according to the historian Josephus, Joshua was 85 years old when he replaced Moses, according to history. 
Nowhere in the scriptures do we see that, but historians, especially Josephus, records that. Now, Joshua was Moses' assistant and Israel's first military commander. We see that in Exodus 17. Along with Caleb, two of the 12 spies who went into the promised land, they were the first ones of the 12, 12 of them were the first ones to go into the promised land, but of the 12, if you remember, only two, Caleb and Joshua, were actually positive and knew this was of God and this is a great place that, as God said, would be to go in and to take possession of what God told and promised Abraham that he would have in regards to that. And you can go back to Numbers 13 uh, and also chapter 14 of Numbers to record those items of where the spies came out of. And uh, again, only two of the 12 were positive. And unfortunately, they decided to go on the, the majority and not the minority. They went against God's promises. Because remember, God said this is their land. God said he was going to give them this land. But how could they come out of that land and say anything other than we're going in? But because of their disobedience, because of their lack of faith, they went with the ten. They said, oh, this is terrible. You can't, we, this is no way we can do this. We shouldn't do this. This is terrible. They, because of that unbelief, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It cost them an entire generation's life. This book was written, uh, the first 23 chapters were probably written shortly after the events that occurred. And we see that around 1405 to 1398 B.C. And probably that last chapter that's written by and recorded by someone else was probably a little later, and that was 1380 B.C. after Joshua's death is what they proposed. From a history perspective, this book is the first book of the Bible that specifically highlights the actual history of the Hebrew nation in their own land. Long anticipated by their forefathers. Everyone talked about what it would be like to be in the promised land, but here we actually see the history of being actually in the promised land uh, in real time, and it marks that transition from the book of the law to the books of history. The outline that we will find in this book are three simple sections. It's pretty straightforward, and that is we see that the book of Joshua is divided first in chapters 1 through 5, where they will see it's all about entering the promised land, entering the land. That's the first five chapters. We see conquering the actual land, because once you go in, they had to get rid of the enemies to be able to take possession of that land. We'll see that part uh, come to fruition or come to light for us for chapters 6 through 12. And then lastly, thir chapters 13 through 24 is all about the distributing the land among the tribes, and that's how it's recorded for the last part. So it's pretty broken up, nice and simple, three parts. Now from an introductory, as we survey the history of Israel and the Egypt of, uh, from Egypt to Canaan, we find that one of, there's a few things here to highlight, and one is that Israel was delivered from Egypt's uh, bondage. It was very um, oppressive and degrading of bondage, what they were going through as a nation. And there were very much a historical events, but, um, but they were not only historical. Because God speaks through history to give an example of our deliverance 
from the degrading bondage of sin as well. We see that as Paul highlights that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 and chapter 10, verse 11, of how sin can be so degrading and so debilitating, so oppressive, so devastating in one's life. And think of all the miracles that Joshua had seen from the plague of Egypt to the parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> I mean, the, the pillars of fire and, uh, and, and, and clouds of smoke, just, uh, just covering them. It's a miracle after miracle of how God brought them out of bondage and moved them into a new land, a new, a new beginnings. And it's so true for one's life. You're in bondage and God is bringing you through these different miracle moments and points where you think it's just devastation. Like this is terrible. It's going to end my life here and the Red Sea just parts. And you realize that was so necessary in your transition out of bondage into this new life in God. Because it's these miracles, these moments where God comes through and changes your life radically. And there, there are moments in time, you can record those in your journal. You know what happened. You know this was, seemed to be devastating. It seemed to be so difficult. But God was bringing you step by step out of your bondage that you've lived your life in. The past can be very debilitating. It can be very degrading uh, for certain. But the certain act of redemption of the Old Testament is the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. That is the central act of redemption of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's the central act of, of redemption is in the work of Jesus on the cross. And you always are comparing the Old Testament to the New Testament and showing that, that one continuous story from the, the nation of Israel coming out of bondage and then us coming out of bondage through through, uh, through Jesus on the cross, where theirs was from deliverance from Egypt into the promised land. The second thing we have to remember in this history that we brought us up to, to Joshua, is that is God used this man named Moses to uh, bring the nation and have them go through that wandering of the Sinai wilderness to bring them to that, that point in time of transitioning and change. And it was during that time that Israel experienced this supernatural providence of how God supplies their needs in this new change of life. What were some of those? Manna. God actually provided manna in the middle of the wilderness and provided to that manna right up until they crossed into the Jordan, into the promised land, and then they now have the, the land of plenty. We also know the water came from rock. We saw the pillar in the cloud by day and the fire by night. And it was on one after another how God provided for them in this new journey from bondage into the new life. And it's during that time they also received divine revelation from God, the Mosaic law, and God communicated to them his holy standards of living. The law provided the holy standards of living. And we too, in the New Testament, in with our relationship with Christ, he clearly communicates by and through his word our holy standards of living. We are to know those standards, those promises. We need to know what his expectations, what pleases our God. They had it very clearly communicated to them as a nation of Israel. God communicated clearly to Moses, then who then clearly communicated to them what God's expectations were. God does the same thing even today. And he does that in and through and by his word. 
The third point is the land of Canaan represents that destination for God's people after they had been set free from that bondage. And Canaan wasn't, wasn't the ultimate destination. Biblically, the promised land does not speak of heaven at all. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 shows Canaan is a picture of the rest and the victory that can be enjoyed by every believer if they rest in the finished work of God. This is also shows that deliverance from Egypt was only a preparation for the enjoyment of Canaan. In our Christian life, we are brought out of sin that we might be brought into the abundant life that God promises us with the absolute assurity that he's coming back for us and taking us to heaven. And we must understand that that promise and hold on to that dearly regardless of how you feel and regardless of the situations you find yourself in day to day. But the wilderness is never God's intended destination for us. He doesn't sit there and put you in some wilderness experience, a terrible experience, and think that's all there is to life. Even as an entire generation of Israel died in the wilderness, it, the sad point is, as many Christians today will die in the desert dryness of spiritual experience. They will never experience the joy and the abundant life that God promises you as you live this life. Because you are stuck in the past. You're stuck into situations and traumas and all kinds of the what-ifs and the fears of this world and the what all these things... and. And you'll never experience the full joy and the abundant light that God has for you and I. And you must grow and, and move beyond the past. And, go, and not live by the fear of the future. Never walking in the fullness of God that has for them because they're so stuck in not in what God has for them, but what all the things that are going on around them that you cannot change. And the fourth item I would talk about is the actual leader of Joshua himself as a type of Jesus. And through the scriptures we have seen and talked about this, because remember the Greek name Jesus simply translates from the Hebrew name of Joshua and Yeshua. And it's these two identical names of Jesus and Joshua that whatever Israel received the promised land, they received through the hand of Joshua and whatever we see, receive from God, we receive through Jesus Christ, our Joshua. And we need to see that connection. So here in Joshua 1, verse 1, we see the God's commission to Joshua. Moses is dead. God speaks to Joshua and he says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Saying, saying what? Well, let's hold for those moments because when you first look at this verse 1, Joshua begins where Deuteronomy left off. With Moses' death and God promoting Joshua into position of leadership. Not only to lead the nation, but also be the commander-in-chief, the general that would lead them through all the wars and the and the. And the things that they had to do to conquer the enemy in the promised land. But it was after the death of Moses who is 
is the picture, poster child of the law of God, right? That's God gave him that law to give to the people. And had spent his entire career sitting there previously assisting Moses in what God was doing in and through his leadership of the nation. And he was gladly to be alongside him. Never do we see Joshua ever going against Moses. Not like his brother, not like his sister, not like the people. He was there to assist Moses because he knew God was with him and using him to lead. Joshua never went. Matter of fact, the 12 spies, when they came back, he was the form. He understood. He was being trained up. He was watching Moses' like a hawk to watch and to learn and to grow in his own leadership by watching the leader that God uh, put in over the people. And now we see that what's happened is after the death of Moses, the Lord spoke to Joshua, showing Joshua as a young man, not young man at all if he's 85 years old, and he spent his entire career assisting Moses. Now Joshua found that now it was time that he was going to lead. He didn't force and say, wait a minute, Moses, you're about, you're, God told you you're going to die? Well, I want that position. I'm going to lead. Of course, I deserve it. I was the assistant to you all this time so faithfully. Of course, I should be the one. No, none of that typical worldly, fleshly struggles in organizations. No, Moses knew it was God's who does the appointing, calls the, calls the guiding, and it was God's decision who's going to lead his people. And Joshua understood that. And Joshua received and listened to what God was saying to him. And says, now you're going to be the one that's going to lead. And he received. He was prepared by God to be to ready to go into, by faith, to lead his people. And he was the assistant. Joshua prepared by faithful service in the small things. Every time you turn around, we see in the scripture we study... He was there for the small things, always, I mean, they're big things too, going spying and conquering wars. But he was always there for these all little moments, these God experiences, and it was creating him and readying him for the position of leadership. Being his assistant helped him. And it's through this where we see in chapter 1, it's all about the encouragement of this new leader to lead God's people. It's all about the encouragement through this. And you'll see it as we read this because encouragement is greatly needed for new leaders. There comes a time in every ministry when God calls for a new beginning with a new generation with a new leader. It's only a matter of time because the leader who might have been there for, that God's called will die or will be changed. And God is ready to change that. And it needs to, through that encouragement of new people coming in as a leader to, to overlook, oversee that ministry that God's called them to, that it takes God to orchestrate and work that and to need the encouragement by all. But a work originated by God, conducted and led by the Holy Spirit, based on the spiritual truths of word, God's word, will ride the shock when that change of leadership takes place. Every organization will do well when they are all focused on the fact that it's God doing the change, if it's really, truly God doing the change. 
and that they're focused on the word of God. There's commonality, there's understanding, there's a, and in that they will, it's a shock, it spooks the sheep, it will spook any ministry of that change of leadership, and you can see it in the church uh, kind of organization, and it's also in the secular organization. There's always a shock to the system when the leaders change. No difference here between Moses and Joshua. But the difference is, and this is why it worked so well, is because God was doing the change. It was God's timing and God's appointing and God's timing. And Joshua worshipped the same God that Moses had worshipped. They weren't worshipping up two different gods. They weren't, didn't have two different agendas and where their focus was. They were both focusing on the same God and what his, the, his God said. And he obeyed the same word that Moses obeyed. So they didn't sit there and say, yeah, you, you do your God thing and you follow his word, but here's your assistant over here doing his own thing and look at what the world's doing. Then you have division and all kinds of problems, and of course that's not going to work when there's a transition in leadership. But there's a continuity with one leader to the next, but that doesn't mean there's conformity because it could be two different personalities. Same road, just two different personalities for each of the leaders is different but must maintain their individuality as they lead because God is called and using that for the purpose of that ministry and so Moses was called God's servant but we see in chapter 24 verse 29 Joshua was also called a servant of God so these had like-minded they served God that is why that leadership change worked so well now it's interesting, here in God's commission to Joshua, we see there's three things that God is commissioning Joshua to do as a new leader. The first one we see here in verses 3 through 5 is that they're to lead the people into the land. Joshua, I have three things for you to accomplish in your role as a leader for the nation of Israel. Three things you need to stay focused. One, you're going to move them into the, the promised land. Two, we see in verse 5, you're going to defeat the enemy that lives within that land. And three, in verse 6, you're going to see and claim the inheritance that God inherited, starting with Abraham to the people. These are the three things, Joshua. Don't lose focus of what I have for you. I determine the agenda. I determine the direction and what priorities are. And this is what I have for you. And Joshua was listening to God, and he was obedient to God. Verse 2, we see Moses, my servant. This is what Moses, his assistant, saying, right? This is back in verse, at the end of chapter, verse 1, I should say. Moses' assistant saying, this is Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, and you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. So Joshua did not waste time. When Moses died, he immediately started doing and enacting what God told him to do. And that was, get ready. This is not a time to mess around. We've been mourning for 30 days. It's time to move. We're going into the promised land. And he says it very clearly. 
You're going to get, you're just, you pack it up, man. We're going to go. We're going into there. The entrance into the land of Canaan was entrusted to the representatives of, of Joshua here as a trustee to the land of all the people. He's the trustee. And he's telling him, we're going in and possess this land. But in the same way, our representative, Jesus, our Joshua, goes before us in what we have in God we possess in Him. So Joshua tells the people, I've been entrusted, I'm the trustee of all this land. Come, we're going in, we're going to kick out all the enemies, and we're going to distribute out all the land to you based on what God has already declared to Moses and how it's all going to be divided. Jesus says, come, I am the carry of the deed of this world and I got promises and I've got an inheritance for you follow me that's what Joshua is saying to him God has entrusted me follow me Jesus says I've given and paid your ransom I paid your debt come follow me I have an inheritance for you you've been adopted into the family and he says right there, very clearly, where every place that your sole of your foot will tread upon, I, will, I have given you. So there's an, a responsibility of the people. God says, I have it. He's already told, showed Moses, and now he's going to show here in a few verses, he's going to show Joshua the same kind of a sp spread of the land, but they have to go do the work. They have to put their souls on that land to claim it. Couldn't just say it. You had to go and do it. The whole land was given. But they could only possess that which they claimed. That means they had to put their foot there. What they took must be fought for, against, and determine the opposition of what the enemy was coming after them. You want to be set free from giants? Then you need to conquer the giants. God says he's, gonna, he's freed you from those giants, and now you have to, you have to accept that. that you've, those, those bondage has been released. It's gone. It's no longer going to grip you anymore. You've got to receive it and claim that in regards to what God has done. But you've got to do the, take the steps, the necessary steps that God leads you to do. God certainly had simply could have eliminated the enemies for his people. All he had to do is speak a word, and they would have been dead. He could have just sent one angel and wiped out the entire enemy in the promised land. But he didn't choose that method. He chose to send his people to go do the hard work to conquer that land. So that he could show that he was the one going before them and would take them out. But they had to do their, their, their role, their responsibility. He was calling his nation of Israel to go in there by faith with himself to see his will be done. It was a step of faith. It wouldn't be no faith if you sit there and say, okay, you sit on this side of the Jordan, you sit there, and when you see the smoke, you know God or the angel or God spoke and wiped them all out, and you just can easily go into the prom, to, to, across the Jordan into the promised land and just freely just enjoy the land of fruit and honey. It would take no faith whatsoever. You didn't have to have faith to follow God to go into the promised land if he's done and took care of everything. 
What was their first step of faith? When Joshua says to the people, you need to cross the Jordan. What do you mean we're going to cross the Jordan? He didn't say, as we will see, he didn't say build the boats, man. We've got it for a couple of million people. We have to build the boats to get across the Jordan. He understood and knew that when God separated the Red Sea, he will make a way to cross the Jordan. He understood the faith of what God can do. If God said he's going to take, we're going to be able to conquer all these enemies and clear the land, he knew that was going to happen. Because taking the land took effort, the challenge ahead was not for those content with Egypt, but for those who would press ahead for what God had called them to do. God called them to the promised land. And how many times when God says, this is what I want you to, this is where I have for your life, but you're going to settle for Egypt because you don't, are so content to live the old life. To live in the past. The promised land is for moving forward, not living the past. Over the centuries, God reaffirmed this promise from his very first words he gave Abraham in Genesis 12. And that's how God operates. He gives a promise, and he gives a promise again, and he gives the promise again, and he gives the promise again. He gave it to Moses, the same promise in Deuteronomy 34.4. God will take them over the Jordan into the enemy territory. God promised he was going into the, to the promised land. You're going in, and he'll repeat his promises. problem is, is people don't hold on and remember the promises that God shows them. Or even know what the word of God says about the promises as a child of God. And you keep recycling all the fears and wonders and anxieties. Because you're not holding on by faith the true understanding of the promises that God has for you as a child of God. The fact that God would enable them to claim for themselves the land that he had promised them. They hadn't even crossed into Jordan, but they could take and hold on to that promise that was given back to Abraham. Because it wasn't Abraham's promise, it was God's promise. God had already given them the land. <laughs> he already told them, you're having that land back in Abraham. That was not a question. That was a statement that God made. That wasn't what, it, what if. <laughs> it was God had already given the land. And it was their responsibility now to step out by faith and claim the land that God said is theirs. The same promise of victory that God had given to Moses in Numbers, number 11, he also reaffirmed, reaffirmed that same victory to Joshua. Again, promise after promise. It will go from generation to generation. The promise is the fact. And our promise is what? It just hit me that... God is coming back for his bride. That is a promise. But how many people do not believe or even focus on that promise? The lesson for God's people today is clear. God had given us all spiritual blessing in Christ. We see that in Philippians 1.3. All the spiritual blessing in Christ. Christ. But we must step out by faith and claim them. 
We must understand as a child of God, that's, he's speaking about you, to you. Not to everybody else who seems to get their act together around you. And you don't think you have your act together. No, he's talking about you as a child of God. And that's what he says here in verse 4. He says, you're going to have victory, Joshua. I'm telling you. As God, I'm telling you, you're going to have a victory is absolutely assured. And let me tell you, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And no man, verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, I, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I mean, if you're a leader and you're about to take full responsibility of the burden of leading these 200, 2 million to 2, 3 million people into a promise land to start an entire war after war, battles after battles in this promised land. What greater words do you can hear as a leader when God himself says to you directly? Not one man will be able to stand against you and accomplish what I said will be accomplished. And I'm not going to leave you in the heat of battle. I'm not going to leave you when things get difficult. How much more assurance do you have as a leader than God himself, the creator of the universe, <laughs> telling you, I'm going to do this in and through your life, but you have to be obedient and take the steps of faith. I mean, he lays out the territory of the land. It's described. This is not some fantasy promise that was, oh, wouldn't that be great? And it's just beautiful, wouldn't you? It'd be nice to have maybe someday. That's a possibility. There's no dreaming here. There's no fantasy of what they hope God will give them. God laid it out clearly what the, the land property was going to be. And that they were going to have it. It described the real land with real boundaries. This is not something that Abraham talked about. Or Jacob talked about, or Isaac talked about. Not even your latest leader, Moses, even talked about. This Joshua is real. This is the land. This is going to take place if you take those steps of faith. And I'll be with you. You will have victory. Lots of battles, but you will have victory. Not because Joshua is some great leader even though God made him a great leader. It's because Israel is a, is a great nation? Absolutely not. <laughs> These are rebellious people. It's because God is a great God, and he says to Joshua, I will be with you. If you're a man and you say, am I in God's will? Can Joshua clearly see that he is in God's will? And how assuring it is for him to go into battle and lead these people. God promised Joshua victory over the enemy. That was a promise and he must hold on to that. 
battle after battle after battle after battle over the next period of time. A daily battle. Verses 6 through 9, we see something interesting. Be strong and of good courage. Those are great words. For for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. See the other promise? It's going to happen. You're going to divide up the land. That's the inheritance for the people. I swore that to your fathers. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. That's twice he's saying it right there very quickly. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. If you stay focused, man, you just focus and do what I, I told Moses to do. Now I'm telling you to do. Just do what I'm saying. Be obedient to the word. My word, what I have given. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Don't go looking for something on some quasi kind of close to it. I'm telling you, this is the focus. You're going to prosper. You're going to prosper. That's a promise from God. You're going to prosper. I wonder what it's going to do if we be obedient to God and do what he tells us to do and he told Moses to do. I wonder what our life's going to be. He said you're going to prosper. You don't believe God's word? You don't trust God? You're going to stop and reevaluate and possibly go to another direction because it looks better for you? It more pleases the eye? No, you're obedient. You keep moving forward because God says you will prosper. Wherever you go. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Not only are you prosperous, you have success. Have I not commanded you? What did he command you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, these are beautiful promises to this leader and to the people. Joshua's called to this boldness in God. You need to stick with me. You need to be bold. You need to be strong and in good courage. You cannot leave me. You've got to stick with me because I am taking you into the bronze land. I'm going to help you conquer the enemy. And I'm going to help you distribute out this land as an inheritance to the people that I promised since Abraham. But you've got to be bold. Don't let this be a weakness, Joshua, in your life where you're not willing to be strong and of good courage to do what God's called you to do. There was a need in that man's life, Joshua, as a leader, to hear the command from God that says, be strong and of good courage. Because God knew it's going to take someone to be strong and in good courage and very focused on God to be able to go through what he's going to go through going into the promised land. 
But every great leader like Joshua needed that encouragement from God that says, be strong and of good courage. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Wherever you go, you're going to prosper. You're going to succeed. I am right there with you. Wherever you go, I'm not leaving you. And it's this bold courage. It's not something that's just natural in Joshua. This strength and this courage comes from God that emboldens you and I. And he would embolden Joshua. We can so many times in our lives and, 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 and meet people in our lives who, can, who are full of themselves. Full of self-confidence. But it's that self-confidence, that fullness of themselves that actually ruins their life. But we should instead be full of the genuine God confidence. I don't trust myself, but I trust God. And God says this, I'm to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to trust that. Oh, you must be really confident. No, I'm not confident in me. I'm just confident in what God's going to do. Because he promised me by his word. And that's how we can live our lives with confidence. By understanding his word and holding on to the promises that God gives us and not be shaken from that. Be strong and a good courage of what God's calling you to do to, to minister as God leads you in the ministries he's given you. No, God did not give Joshua explanations on how he was going to accomplish what God said he was going to do. How he was going to get across the Jordan, go into the promised land, conquer the enemies, and do the inheritance and divide that up. God does not explain to him all the steps of what's going to happen in life over the next several days and years. All God tells Joshua is a vision of what the three things he wants you to accomplish. He did not give the details. Why? Because he wanted Joshua to live by faith each day, trusting that God would give him the direction and what he needed to do daily. To live by faith and not by sight. God didn't give Joshua explanations on how he would accomplish these things. Because God's people live by promises from God, not on explanations. We do not live our life based on explanations. God, I will do that and I'll be obedient once you explain to me why we're going to do it. <laughs> Try that for a while. That will make you squirrely. He says to live by faith and I will guide you in your step by step. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge me and I will direct your paths. That's how I want you to live. God says I'm going to direct your paths. I'm just telling you you're going this direction. How, what do we do when we get there? I'll show you what to do. 
And once you've accomplished and pushed out all the enemies, and if you put your feet on all the souls of everything I explained was yours, and you go out and do that, then I will then have time to inherit and split up the inheritance in among the land. But when you trust God's promises and you step out by faith, you can be sure that the Lord will give you the directions you need when you need them. And how many times I've heard and I've said, but how do I know I'm going to be, he's going to tell me? <laughs> how do I really, 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 really know? Then you obviously, Corey, you don't know God well enough. You need to get in the word of God and you need to start talking to him more because if you really knew God, then you wouldn't be asking that question. You would know that he's going to be faithful in giving you the direction that he's asking you to take. It's the faith that I'm struggling with of not knowing my God well enough to trust my life and to do living by faith and just living however I feel and want and go and do. And that's the struggles we all face. But we must observe according to all the law. We must look to what God is showing us, what God is directing us to be a good to be strong and a good courage and to understand what God is doing in and through our lives through the promises that we hear and see as we read the word of God. And he says to Joshua so clearly that you're to know all the law. Why? How much are we, Joshua, to know? Joshua did not need only to read God's word, but notice what he says here to Joshua. You're going to read God's word, but you're going to do it so it's on your lips. It shall not depart from your mouth. You know the word of God so well, it's always right there on your lips to ready to talk about that's how close it is it's in this mind you meditate it on a day and night it should be always in your mind the God's word and that you had to do it that you had to do what God's word is saying and that means what he says you have to observe to a, to according to all that is written you must know it and do it and according to what God has says for then you make your way prosperous. That's where you have good success. God's word so lived, so lived by you and I, it's a guarantee of a Christian success when we sit there and take God's word and not just dabble with it, just not know part of it, but it's constantly on our lips, constantly talking about it, to God about it, to other people about it. It's constantly meditating day and night, and we're constantly doing what God's showing us to do. You will have victory as a Christian over any enemy or any giant of your past or anything you're dealing with in your life. It doesn't promise us if we do that that we won't have any problems. But it does ensure a life able to deal with any problem that comes into our because it takes the full advantage of God's presence and promises as we absorb into the word of God. Remember the life of the Christian believer. Prosperity and success are not to be measured by the same standards of the world. 
Even in the world account, what does the world say? We're like sheep for the slaughter. That's how the world sees us. But we don't know what Romans 8, 36, 37 says to us. That we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not sheep out there for the slaughter. No, we're conquerors when we walk with Christ. Who loved us. I don't know about you, but I, I love the promise of the fact that God says to Joshua and really says to us as well as we will he is he's with us wherever you go wherever you we go I mean that's the final encouragement that God is saying to Joshua here let me encourage you here you're taking embarking into this huge step of faith and going into the promised land but just remember wherever you go I'm there It repeats it to Joshua multiple times. But Joshua's success did not depend solely on his ability. Oh, I'm not going to have success because I can't keep up with this. I'm not, I've, I've kind of fallen. I've kind of failed at times. I, I'm, how am I going to make this? But it wasn't based upon his ability to keep God's word so perfectly every time. It depended even more on God's presence with him. That is what was the importance. Because you're not going to be perfect. Is one thing to say to a leader, be strong and of good courage, leader. Conquer the enemy. It's easy to say it. But it's something quite different to be able to enable him to do it. Joshua's strength, Joshua's courage would come from meditating on the word of God and believing the promises from God and being obedient to every command, to every step that God says to take. That is where Joshua's strength and courage comes from. Where do you think our strength and courage comes from? Knowing the word of God promises of God and being obedient to those directions that God says to take those commands in verse 10 through 11 we see then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying pass through the camp and command the people saying prepare provisions for yourselves for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go into possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess so the waiting for God, three days, is often the most difficult part in doing what God's calling us to do. Okay, we're going. Now we wait. Waiting for the right timing, the timing. Three days they had to wait. They've been waiting for all this time to get the promised land. Now they're ready to go, and we're going to go in. You have three days to prepare. And it's always in those times, waiting to ready to go, in that time of waiting, it's actually God's preparation in your life. That's one of the things I've learned in the ministry. Corey, this is what you need to do. This is where the direction you're going to do. This is the decision you have to make. And then I have to wait. And it's in that waiting that God's preparing me and preparing others to be ready to go. 
And you don't always know what that timing is. You, when you see the Spirit moving, you start moving. When you don't see the Spirit moving, you don't move. You just wait. They were at least given three days. That's it. Didn't say to build boats. Didn't say to, to do anything other than prepare provisions for yourselves. You're going in three days. Didn't say, okay, let me explain how you're going to cross the river. Didn't say uh, how the battle. Just prepare your provisions. And that was all the instructions they were given. And then he gives more instructions to the eastern tribes. The three tribes that are going to stay on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan that was promised to them. But they also promised that they would, the warriors would go in and battle and take out the enemies. And once they do that, then they could go back to their families. Look at what he says here in verse 12. And the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half a tribe of Manasseh, they were the ones that wanted to stay on the right hand, the east side of Jordan. Joshua spoke saying, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which most gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed with all your mighty men of valor and help them. Verse 15, until the Lord has given your, brothers, your brethren rest as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them, then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So here, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half tribe of Nassi, they were sitting there. Remember, they're on that side of the Jordan. And they were to, uh, in Numbers 32, verses 16 through 32, talks about how that promise allowing them to stay there, not taking the possession in the process. Again, bad mistake. We know history. When we get through it, th those tri tribes will be really ravaged by the, 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 the non-Israelites, the the. the Gentile world, the, the, the heathens, boy, they're going to be beat up. They should have gone to the promised land just as God promised, but they compromised because they, they loved the land on the other side more than what God had for them. And I think that's absolutely a whole other lesson that we've talked about. But when God says to go here, it's a perfect will. When you sit there and compromise and, oh, God, I don't really want to go in there. I know that's what you told me to, but I want to stay right here. It's close enough. You're not in the perfect will. You're just in the, 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 the permissive will, and that is not the perfect will. And there will be many times challenges in that. But you shall pass over there. They were supposed to commit to their lives to do that. They were to go over there and to possess and to make sure that they um, help their brethren to get their land, to get them settled in. And then God says, then you can go back. In verse 16, it says here, So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. 
only be strong and of good courage. So they, the leaders there of those officers says, we're committed. We're going to follow through with this. Yes, we're going. Our valor man's going to go over there. We're going to conquer. And if anyone rebels against you, we are saying to you right now, they do not heed your words and obedient and do what they command. That brings death to them. So they knew it. there was no turning back. You must follow through with our word, what we told God and to Moses. And that's at the very end. It's a, again, Another reinforcement to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. So these representatives were absolutely committed to what was confirmed of God's word, not only to Moses, but to Joshua, that they will do what they said they will do. And at the very, very end, I love it, where God loves to confirm his word to us, does he not? Isn't it awesome how God constantly is confirming his word to us through the day? You hear it once here, you read it here, someone repeats it here. It just constantly re reinforcing what God's point he's trying to bring to us. That's why we constantly are listening throughout the day, meditating on his word day and night, talking about it here a little, there a little. It's just a beautiful way of living a life that is based on faith and not by sight. And the willingness of these people to receive Joshua as their leader, replacing Moses with such confirmation of the Lord's words to Joshua that was in the previous chapter of in, in Deuteronomy about, yes, but not always when a new leader comes in. You don't really know how the people are going to receive that new leader. But as we spoke, if it's God doing it, and the people are truly following God, they will be and receive that new leader and they will follow because they know that that man is following God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. And as we open up our new book here that you've given us to read and study, Joshua, Lord, what a blessing it is, our favorite book on Wednesday nights, to just to be able to be in your word and to hear from you and to receive from you. May we learn lessons as you we meditate on what we've learned tonight. Help it to apply to our lives the way you see fit. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.